Shit. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. You guys can be seated. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. 
If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Let's pray. Lord, the warning is clear. This world is not our home, but you have prepared a place for us. And you have provided both the wisdom and the knowledge that we need to live in this world and travel to the kingdom that you are building. Lord, ground us in your word. Prepare us that as we live in this world, that we would stand firm against the slings and arrows of the enemy, that we would know the truth, and that that truth would set us free, that we would not fear, we would not worry, but that we would live in trust, knowing that you will conquer, that you will bring us to completion, that we will stand in your presence. Lord, we long for that day and pray that you would bring about it quickly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You know life is returning to normal. I have a list. <laughs> All right, just a couple of things. Read your bulletin. It will do you good. Elena has put a bunch of stuff in there. Um, Elena and Jeff are not going to be here this morning. She made a point to send me a message last night to let me know that uh, her boss, she is working in the office at the, uh, I don't even know the name of it, but was ever the security place that Mark and Sheila work? She's been working there, and their boss is uh, showing some symptoms, so he's being tested this week. So she figured safe and sorry. She is going to, you know, just, just make sure that, you know, she's not carrying the plague. So 
So keep that one in your prayers. While you're on your prayer list, um, James is supposed to have surgery again now this Wednesday. Couldn't do it last week. Swelling hadn't gone down enough in the leg. So he did a good job. <laughs> I guess if you're going to break it, break it real well. So <laughs> don't break your leg. Do you have to say that out loud? Just make sure. So remember James this week. And especially, let me add, if you take the time, uh, Sue Stivers. Uh, spoke to Jerry this morning. He'd left a message here. He had misplaced my number, and Elaine had also sent me a message to let me know what uh, Chris had posted on Facebook. Uh, according to Jerry, according to the scans from the doctor, the Parkinson's has sped up and overtaken the dementia. And so it's the Parkinson's that is starting to just kind of shut things down. And if you've ever dealt with anybody in end stages of Parkinson's, it's just stuff just doesn't work right. The brain just doesn't tell the body what it's supposed to be doing properly. And, he's, and Jerry said it's been really in the last two weeks. So you, you, you almost wouldn't even recognize her. And I know what he's talking about. We just we just did this. That's what happened with um, Betty Holder. Is she, was, she was sleeping a lot, and you talk to her, and then all of a sudden you show up, and it's like, that's not even the same person. So they, they have hospice and home health in there. She's got a bed. There's someone coming in twice a week with nursing. Someone is coming in twice a week to help with bathing and keeping things up. I don't know, that'll last days, weeks, with Parkinson's, months. You just you just do not know. So if you remember Jerry and Sue, they've got a lot going on. They're trying to set up where people can be there to help Jerry out. Because if you know Jerry, he's going to do as much as he can, but he's not in the greatest of health that he's able to do a lot. So remember Jerry and Sue this week and try to get updates as we get them along and, and go from there. Uh, nuts and bolts stuff. I said I'd have one out there. There is a financial report on the table right out here that covers um, the month of May and the year to date through May. So you can check that out, grab one. I just, the only thing I ask is I didn't make 800 copies of it. So like, don't both of you get one. One of you get one. You know, same, same thing. So don't bring four of them home to your house. That way we have enough and we'll go from there. I just made a couple copies and be good to go. But if you have any questions, let me know. We're probably not having a business meeting this month. My goal is to try to have a church council meeting on the 28th. So I'm saying that out loud now so we can kind of aim for that. So that is not next week. It's the week after. And that'll kind of get us back into a planning mode for the uh, rest of the summer and really getting the rest of the year on track. The other thing is I want you guys to start thinking because I don't have a list out for it yet. But one of the things before the world completely decided to shut down that we had planned on doing was streamlining our missions emphases during the year. So instead of trying to have 10 or 12 missions projects a year, to try to streamline that down to maybe just two or three that we can actually have some ramp up for. One of the ones that we unanimously agreed on was for the backpacks that we did last year to do that again. Our goal when we said that was probably start ramping that up around the 1st of June because that would give us June, July, August, and most of September to try to get enough backpacks that we could give them out either um, at the mission or hopefully at the mission and with Kathy's group that she uh, ministers to downtown. That would be probably close to 200 or more backpacks, which sounds like a whole lot. But when you consider last year, we started in September, and by the end of the month, we had 50. If we started earlier in the year, I don't think it would be a stretch to say we could maybe do more than that. So start praying and thinking through that. I'm going to get a list out in the next couple of weeks. Going to try to hopefully confirm that with council and be that that will be the plan for hopefully July, August, September, and into October that we can try to ratchet up these, uh, these backpacks and get them filled so we can hand them out again this year. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Anything else I'm forgetting? Yes, sir. He's, he's going to have pain for a while, unfortunately. Yeah, so keep praying for Clark. Has that, has that cut closed up yet? or is that, he, they, The last time I spoke to him, they said they were talking about sending him to a wound specialist for the cut on his knee. Yeah, thank you for not sharing. <laughs> yeah, tell him we don't want the picture if we don't need it. Yeah, the, one of the problems with the, with the swelling Clark had in the knee was the, the cut that he had from falling isn't going to close up properly. And, of course, Clark's diabetic to start with, so cuts don't really close up properly to begin with. Plus, he's on blood thinners. So I mean, <laughs> so the last I had heard, they, would, they, had, they were trying to line up maybe an appointment with the wound clinic to see about treating that and get that set up. So hopefully they get that lined up. The problem with that is can you get it approved and can you actually get in there and get it seen? So I forgot about that. So yes, please add. So James for surgery, Sue for general overall stuff and Clark for his leg. So if you remember during your prayer time this week, please, please, please remember those folks. Um, anything else? Oh, yes. Good, good. This, the saving grace of this virus, as bizarre and scary as it has been, is that that is predominantly the story of people that have been infected, is that it scares you more than it does anything else for the majority of people. And that's one of the reasons why I put out in our letter, if, if you're not in a nursing home, your survival rate is over 99%. That's pretty good. So I, I feel pretty good about our chances most of the time. And plus, again, common sense. If you're sick, stay home. If you have questions, like Elaine and Jeff, stay home. We appreciate you not sharing with the other children, and we kind of work through getting back to normal as much as we can. So, question from last week. Where did Samson die? <laughs> oh, you went, see, you did you read ahead? It's the Temple of Dagon in, in Gaza. See, look at that. See, between the pillars. Now, if you're, see, most of you are going to be like, well, between the pillars. No, but see, this all matters. In the temple of a non-existent deity, in, a, in what's really supposed to be the, the land that Israel is supposed to occupy. So if you don't know your Bible geography, for that would be modern day, which is on the Mediterranean. So you're talking about south and west from Jerusalem. And so, yes, they're still fighting over this. <laughs> and so when you talk about God being, um, I don't know if annoyed is the right word, but we're going to go with it. God being annoyed that Israel did not fulfill their commission to drive out the foreign nations and conquer the land. Um, what is what would this be? Three thousand years later, they're still arguing over these over these areas and these lands. And that's part of the part of the reason why I wanted you guys to see that is, if you read your history in Joshua, the problems that you run into in Judges are not new problems. It's the failure of the people before they entered the land not being willing to enter the land, the failure of the people to fully subdue the land, is, it's not, it doesn't lead to their apostasy and turning away from God in Judges. It's the fulfillment of it. Their turning away from God in Judges is the same as their turning away from God in Joshua, is the same as turning away from God during um, Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, and all that stuff. It's the same problem in that nation. So what would a people look like who are given God's law and told to keep it without the benefit of the Holy Spirit indwelling them day in and day out. There's ancient Israel. 
Now, that's not the whole problem, but that's, that's part of the, the foundational problem. The reason why I, I make such a big deal about that is, what do we want when we see the rest of the world? We, we want them to follow the decrees and commands of God. We want them to live a good and moral and upstanding life because when they do that, society runs well. So what we end up doing is we end up standing here and telling people who do not have the Holy Spirit to do what? Follow God's commands and decrees. And we wonder why it's just a hash. It's always been a hash when humanity has been tasked with that. Always. Always, 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 always. So, certainly. Yes. Yeah. Notice, see, this is we we make we mess ourselves up because we read that his hair began to grow. That's a symbol of the of the purification process. He had shaved the head finally, which was a repurification, a rededication to God. The power doesn't come back just because the hair grew. That's the symbol. The power comes back when Samson does what? See, this is why I asked, where does Samson's power actually come from? It didn't come from his hair. It came from God. All the empowering of the people doing the things that they're doing in the Old Testament, all of it comes from God, not them, God. This is why I always point out the hero of every single Old Testament story is God. It's fallen, broken people, because those are the only type of people that exist since Eden, being used of God to demonstrate his power, mercy, grace, and might. It's consistent throughout the Old Testament. So, Thank you. I, he took out more in that than he had during his entire previous 20 years. So again, uh, thousands. Was it 3,000? Three, yeah, which is more than he had killed more of the Philistines in the entire other 20 years he had been around. And that's the other part of Samson's life. When you get to that punchline, how many of you were like, and thus he had judged Israel 20 years? 20 years? Like I was reading three chapters and it felt like it'd be like a week and a half. Uh, so again, one of the lessons you need to remember from your Old Testament is it's not like God's showing up every day. It's not like, oh, it's Tuesday. What's God going to do today? These people are living days, weeks, months, years, and God is interjecting himself. So when we're surprised, why isn't God just showing up? Well, look at what he allowed and how much he allowed before he intervened sporadically. It's a different idea of time and how it works. So in light of that, don't say this one out loud, just reminding you, what groans as in the pains of childbirth? Now, before some of you are just going to be smart, I put on there, other than women and animals. Because <laughs> I knew someone was going to be a smart aleck and go, women grown in childbirth. No, no. Besides that, what in your Bible talks about that? And of course, again, reason for the question gives you some hints and direction and a good couple little prayer uh, prompts. That's the word I want in English, prompts. I almost speak this language. I need to do better today since I was picking on Cameron this morning for her southern accent, don't I? I need to make sure I don't mess anything up. <laughs> it's not my fault. I, I was in New England, and they moved me to the rural south. I don't know how words are supposed to be pronounced. I'm lucky I know what I'm saying half the time. So, all right. Anything else? Going once, going twice. In that case, let's stand and sing. God sent his son. They called him Jesus, he came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died 
by my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know Because he lives, 
All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives and life is worth the living just because he Disciples were assembled in the upper room. Didn't know that Jesus would be leaving very soon. Talked about his kingdom as they gathered for the feast. Who would be the greatest and who would be the least? One said, if there's the greatest, hope I'm the one. Others talked a miracle they have seen or done. No one noticed Jesus as he rose up from his seat until he knelt before them and began to wash their feet. I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you. And if you know my Father's love the way you say you do, then you will serve each other too. Wished I could have been there to see the look on each man's face. Single act of service puts us all back in our place. Though we call to minister, do miracles in his name. Remember when you're sent by him, the reason that he came. I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you. And if you know my Father's love the way you say you do, 
then you will serve each other too. I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you. And if you know my father's love, way you say you do, then you will serve each other too. We'll serve each other too. Thank you. I didn't used to have to do this all the time. I didn't used to have to mute the microphone to cough 17 times a day either. But let me see, seven, six, seven years ago, I caught laryngitis on a Sunday afternoon. And by Wednesday, I couldn't speak. And by Friday, I had some voice. And by Sunday, I could preach again. And we had church. And I cough and dry out at the drop of a hat like that ever since then. So that's why I don't go to stores right now. Can you see me walking down? I, I get three aisles over and go, the whole store stops and goes, <laughs> I'm sorry. I do this all the time. All the time. Not some of the time. All of the time. <laughs> I try that. I even take an, I take an allergy pill every single day. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. Just one of these days I'm just going to wake up and go, and that'll be the end of it. So until then, I talk as much as possible. <laughs> Just feels like that, right? You didn't have to agree so quickly. <sighs> I'm so loved. All right. First Thessalonians 5. This is it. You've made it to the end, which is the end of our fifth book. We've made it through five books now. Doesn't, doesn't feel like it, does it? Uh, I, I, had actually, I had forgotten a couple in there, actually. Galatians, Daniel, John, Habakkuk, and now 1 Thessalonians. So we've made progress. Now, if you have read ahead or know anything about this book, you're probably wondering, why are we handling the benediction separately? And if you're not wondering that, then thank you. Um, two reasons. One, it fits our schedule really, really well. And two, there's more in here than you would realize and too much in here to try to attach it to either last week or any of the other sections. As the conclusion of a letter, it's a good conclusion for really us moving out into a world and that's part of what we're trying to do each and every Sunday is prep here so that the rest of the week we actually have something to apply and live out so as we go through this things to look for description of God reminder of our salvation teaching on the power of God a quick look at hermeneutics which is always fun as well as a look at history which is also always fun if you're kind of a little bit demented like I am so 
Vern's like, wait a minute, I like history. <laughs> so those are all in here, and we will kind of flesh them out as we work through. So look for that. Hopefully we come up with something useful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And it almost feels like we should say amen at the end of that, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's not there, so I'm not going to say it just so the back of your brain goes like this. It's one of my new favorite hobbies, Mom. I like to take the tongs out of the drawer now and then not click them while Cameron's looking and put them on the counter. Because, you know, if you take a pair of tongs out of the drawer, the first thing you have to do is click, click. So I'm, I'm disciplining myself to take them out, show them to her, and put them down just so I can look at Cameron across the kitchen going like this. <laughs> well, once again, you understand why I tell you to pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. These are the things I think about during the day. <laughs> She's back there nodding. See, I'm just loved today. Of course, I do it to myself, so... All right, something useful. Now, may the God of peace. All right, time out. This is useful right off the beginning. Who is the one who brings peace? It's not us. It's God. Uh, re uh, rewind in your Bible, Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's enough on its own, but there's more. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul also mentions this in Colossians 1. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is why peace is one of your fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. This is important. Without God, without the work of Christ, this world cannot and will not have peace. Why? Notice the descriptions of sinful people before God, before the work of Christ. This is one of those things we have to kind of, you know, beat into our heads a little bit. Sin is not just a separation. We all get taught that the Sunday school definition. What is sin? That which separates us from God. It's more than that. It doesn't just separate you. It makes you hostile to him. The sinner is just not over in the corner going, no, I'm just not thinking about this. I don't want to. No, no, no. They are shaking their fist actively at God. They are rebelling against him in open warfare. When you think of sin in those terms, which is how the Bible presents them, you understand the breakdowns of the society in which we live. Remove God, remove godliness, remove any hope for and ability to bring about peace. Watch the news. <laughs> what is everybody clamoring for? We want peace and reconciliation. How are we going to get it? By throwing bricks at each other. <laughs> it's like... This was like, guys, remember when you were like in the third grade and you liked a girl? What did you do? You threw rocks at her. 
See, see, women are like, is that really how you thought? Yes, we were dumb, and that's what we thought. Why? Because we can throw rocks, and that would be impressive, and it would get her attention, and then she would like us. We were dumb. It's okay. Most of us grow out of it. Most. Welcome to worldly thinking. It's dumb at its face. It says we will bring about peace by making you do something. Well, see, when you make me do something, is that peaceful? No, and it, and it cannot be. We want to be reconciled in the world because we know that there is something broken and separating. This is, goes back to our discussion we've had on, on Wednesdays with our men's Bible group as we're going through Romans 1. Not, the, the key thing of Romans 1 is not the wrath of God revealed against sin. It's that they know. They know that they're in sin. They know that the wrath of God is biting upon them. They know that judgment is coming, and they cannot escape it. And since God will not tell them that they are okay in their sin, what do they want? They want you to tell them that they're okay in their sin. If God won't affirm me, I want you to affirm me. Misery loves company. Not just a little bit, a whole lot. And if you will not affirm that sin, there will be no peace because I will make you affirm that sin. So who's, who's not bringing peace? Everyone. It's broken. It's busted. The only way to reconcile humanity is to first reconcile humanity to God. See, remember, our vertical commandments come first, our relationship with God, and then we deal with the rest of the world. So uh, I'm never going to forget this because we used it to, uh, to, to keep the children in line. When we were at a youth camp years ago, the, our, our, our speaker presented this for the week, and it was something, here's a little reminder. We have an upward inward and an outward and that's if you can you can imagine how we kept the teenagers in line with that one because you know our vertical relationship with god is taken care of the love of god abides upon us and we do what we now live that out throughout the world and so for the rest, whole week we we're just reminding kids constantly you know reminding them constantly <laughs> sometimes you got to do what you got to do when you got a bunch of 15 year olds but it's true how do i get reconciled to the rest of humanity i first have to be reconciled to christ then I actually have a Holy Spirit indwelling me. Then I actually have a love and a grace and a mercy poured out on me, which gives me the ability to have love, joy, peace, patience in the world at large. I can't have it without him. That's why this is an important starting point. We've got to remember who is the one who brings peace to this place. It's not us. It is God. So may the God of peace do what? himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. See, in order to bring peace, can he leave his work half finished? No. How many of you are at peace in this world? You are finished products. You have been perfectly sanctified. You are holy. You know, you walk through Walmart. Peace be with you. God loves you. <laughs> no, when I cough two miles over, you're like a meerkat over there. Like, who did that? Why? Because we're not at peace now. Why? Because you're still struggling with sin. In order to be perfectly at peace, what must you do? You must eradicate sin. Ha ha ha. Congratulations. Can you handle that? Can you knock that out? No. This is, again, remembering our good theology. We have multiple things going on in our lives at the same time. So our, our entry point, who brings peace? God brings peace. You don't negotiate your terms with God. God says, do this or else. And you say, yes, sir. That's a one-direction work. Then we begin a two-direction work. Holy Spirit brings sin to your mind. Holy Spirit reminds you of the commands of God, and you go, my bad, and you work on correcting that. Who ultimately will kill the sin in your life, though? Not you. God will. Because while you war against it now, 
the ultimate completion of your sanctification, the ultimate bringing of your holiness is in eternity. This is where you get things like the benediction of the the gospel, the uh, epistle of Jude. Although you, what is that? I copied the wrong verse. I think I'd have caught that at some point in the editing process. It's been there since Monday. That's terrible. I copied Colossians into the Jude spot, so now you know what I have to do. Now I have to go, wait a minute, all right. The benediction of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand with great joy in his presence. Oh, and that's the end of it. So read Jude 24 and 25. It will do you good. It'll do me some good too, but I'm not going to find it right now. First Peter 5 makes the same point. After you have suffered for a little while, that's now, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. And this is without fail. If you are God's, he will bring you to completion. More on that shortly. So, may he sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, this is the, the little kick in the rear end for right now. That work is not done now. How many of you are perfect again? I can ask that. Jonathan's not in here. <laughs> Nobody's in here to raise their hand. Yes. Therefore, we work. We know that God will complete it, but right now, what is your call in Christ? To labor. To labor well, to kill sin, to put it aside, and to live out your calling. Second Timothy 4, what did Paul tell you? I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. See, that's the key thing. Who is saved? He who perseveres to the end. This is why John tells you they went out of us because they were not of us. How do I know I made it when I make it? It's like running. How many of you have ever done distance running? When do you know you're going to cross the line? <laughs> when you actually get there. Because if you, once, you get, once you get past like two miles, there's, there's that part in the back of your head when you're first starting out that's really doubting whether or not you're actually going to get there. Even though you can see it, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to get that far. It's like, it's like 10 feet. I made it! This is sanctification at work. You'll know you get there when you get there. Why? Who brings you across? God does. In the meantime, we labor, but we labor knowing that success is coming. So Paul holds out. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, let's make sure we understand this correctly. Stay. It's, I gotta do something. You are not saved because you persevered to the end. You persevered to the end because you were saved. So this, this goes back into one of these conversations that I've, I've always had with people. Every, every couple of months I get this one. You know, I'm just worried that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit and I'm going to commit the unpardonable sin. We'll, we'll stop it. I might have blasphemed the Spirit. I can't come back from that. If you're worried that you've done it, you haven't. Because to blaspheme the spirit, to be unregenerate, to just be that callous in spirit, you know what that person's not worried about? What God thinks. They've told the Holy Spirit where to go, literally. They don't care what he thinks. If you're worried about your sin, you're worried about what God thinks of you, you are on the right track. Do not let the worry crush you. 
worry about the people in your life who have no concept of their sin, of righteousness, or are not seeking to mortify the flesh, would be a good old Puritan way of saying it, who are not seeking to put their sin to death. Worry about them because they have no concept of what is coming. They have lost the fear of the judgment of God. They have therefore lost the ability to be wise and knowledgeable in this world. They are therefore on the broad road. See, that's a bad place. The reason you have persevered is because you have kept the faith. You have fought the fight. You have continued on. Why have you done that? Because God has redeemed you, given you the Holy Spirit. And once the Holy Spirit is in, he doesn't go away. Even on the days you might want him to. Because let's be honest, even on those days where you're like, no, I don't want to deal with that sin today. If he left, you'd be upset. It's one of the other, that's why I said one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture is actually from the story of Samson, if you've read it the last two weeks. The Holy Spirit departed from him, and he didn't even know it. You're like, ow. Like, I think I'd know if God was walking with me, and suddenly he's like, peace, I'm out. I'm like, no, my bad, I'm sorry. No, that's a calloused heart that needs to be softened by the slings, arrows, and hard edges of this world. Welcome to what's going on day in and day out. Why has God left us here? Why has he put us in this world that is so hostile, that is so unredeemed? Part of the answer is to shine the light, but the other part of that answer is what smooths out rough edges? Constant grading pressure. It's got to. It's got to. How do you get pearls? The constant sand moving around, smoothing them off. How do you get those lovely little river rocks out of the bottom? What's happening? That water constantly doing what? Shaving off edges. Welcome to what the world is supposed to do. It's supposed to grate on you. It's supposed to get on your nerves. It's supposed to annoy you. That's where you persevere. And if you don't persevere, then you never started the race in the first place. You lied to yourself. That's not unusual. It is something we should be warned about, though recognize that we do these things. We persevere. We do our good works. We try to bring peace. We try to live in joy. Not so that God will be pleased with us. You can't please God in your flesh. You can only please God in Christ. God is pleased with Christ. Therefore, your works rendered through him are pleasing to him. Let's continue. Verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. God has not does not and will not fail. I told you we'd come back to this idea. Isaiah uh, 14, Old Testament. The Lord of hosts has planned it. Who can frustrate it? As for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? See, use a silly example for that. Like if Cameron is cooking and she doesn't want me to mess with something and I reach for something that she's cooking, what does she do? She smacks my hand and I pull my hand back, right? Because it's like, and some of that's the game, right? In your life, when God reaches out, who smacks his hand? Just out of curiosity. See, you get this face like, who would be that dumb? (laughs) But here's the answer. If God wants to take what you're cooking, are you going to stop him? No, this is what Isaiah is getting on about. When God has planned, God has purposed it, you don't turn back his hand. He doesn't play that. Like, no, give me that. You want a good example of this? New Testament. What did he do to Paul? Paul's riding off to go round up the Christians and send them off to the uh, first century gulag, and God said, give me that. I mean, in a nutshell, Nebuchadnezzar's walking around his, his city. Look at everything I've done, and God says what? Give me that. That's mine. I'm taking that. Who stops him? No one. That's part of the point. 
Christian, if he has redeemed you and he has put you on the narrow road that leads to life and he is working and persevering in your life and casting you forward, who thwarts that work? No one, not even you. I mean, if he's got to smack you a few more times, he will, but you will get with the program. See Nebuchadnezzar, see Paul as good examples. You will come around because the Holy Spirit will do his work in transforming. This is why we persevere. We have been changed. This is your Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is why we have to have an aim for wisdom, not just knowledge. See, we accumulate knowledge and facts and stuff that we know, and then we just sit there and wait. No, we accumulate knowledge so that we would apply it rightly. This is why we start out with the idea of peace. We know that God is the one who brings peace. Yet when we go out into the world, typically, what do we argue? <laughs> Everything else but biblical truth. Everything else but Christ as he's revealed in Scripture. We leave the Bible at home. We leave Christian principles at home. And then we wonder why we can't win the argument and change hearts and minds. You left the means of transformation behind. You left the Holy Spirit out of it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words concerning Christ. What is the Old Testament pointing to? It's pointing to a Savior. What is the New Testament doing? It's revealing the Savior. What are the letters doing? They're explaining and applying the work of that Savior. The entirety of Scripture is a testimony to who Christ is, what he either will, has, or is doing. There's your Bible in a nutshell. How is the world going to get peace? They have to be reconciled to God so they can be reconciled to one another. That starting point means we enter into the conversation with Scripture, what we are at our core, what we desire, and how we work. We need this knowledge to actually go out. This is John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Can't do it. Not going to happen. And keep in mind, that wasn't just out of thin air. That was consistent in the Gospel of John and consistent in Jesus' teaching. You can rewind back to John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of God who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. We're secure. We're there. We're grounded in a good way. Not like when your parents sent you to your room, but we are rooted. We can't move. We can't be taken out. So what should we fear in this world? We can't lose God. We can't lose Christ. The world can't take anything from us. So what have they got? Nothing. So we should be able to live, work, minister, disciple, do all of these things daily because this is how this works. Now, what would that look like? This is when your New Testament gets into what we call the one another's. The application of this biblical truth. Knowing that I am preserved by God, he has brought peace, he has given me joy, he has given me safety and security that cannot be taken. I can now, without fear, engage in one another's moving out. So, 25. Brethren, pray for us. See, why does Paul say that? Rewind a chapter. What did he tell them to do? How often should they pray? Not even a chapter, it's a section. 
pray when, verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 5, without ceasing. Now, assuming you have uh, reoriented your life and you are doing what I suggested, which is someone gives you a prayer concern and you just kind of take a minute mentally have a prayer. You're driving in traffic and some idiot cuts you off rather than giving them, you know, sign language and whatever else you're yelling, you stop and pray for that fool because Lord knows they need it. Why? Because they just demonstrated that they need it. See? <laughs> Don't look at your husband. That's not good. <laughs> pray for that fool. See, when you're doing this, how much effort would it be to say, oh, I don't know, pray for the missionary who founded your church? Pray for the guy who is persevering under trouble. Do you have these moments? When you think about Paul and what's going on in church, what would you do? Stop, fire off a prayer, pray for Paul. This is good. This is called discipline. This is a dirty word in America in the 21st century. Discipline. We call these things spiritual disciplines, and we have for 2,000 years. Bible reading is a spiritual discipline. Why? Let's be honest. If you do not make a conscious effort to read your Bible, do you? No. There is something better on the radio. There is something better on TV. There is something more interesting out the kitchen window. Like, there is something else that will go on. Be like, look at those squirrels. Like, I have never seen those squirrels in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> there is something going on in the world. You will not read your Bible unless you discipline yourself to set the time and do it. Prayer. If you do not discipline yourself to make time to pray, will you do it? Predominantly, no. People will not. Some of you will because you're like, no, I don't struggle with that one. Congratulations. You have what Paul's talking about when we talk about the gift of prayer. Pray for us. We need it. <laughs> so you, you, you that have that gift, yeah, please, we desperately need it. We have to train and discipline ourselves. We have to be weaned off the world. And that's the way we don't think about it anymore because we don't think about an us versus them. Not until we turn on the news and everything is on fire. And then we're like, wait a minute. No, that's definitely a them. And this is a, no. We need to be trained to think like that regularly, not in an adversarial way, but so that we know who's on what side, so we know what they need. Because what do they ultimately need? They need Christ. And if we don't bring him, like how many of you are here today? How many of you have been saved because you were driving down the road and a vision from heaven came down, stood in the middle of the highway and went, halt, believe upon me. And then, Vroom! like how many of you, that is your Christian story? That's what I thought. How many of you had someone tell you, teach you, discipline you and train you in Christ, explaining who he is over time so that you came to the knowledge and understanding of God? That's pretty much, you know, the, the human population. That's the work that we have to engage in. Now, if you would like to understand why this is such a big deal, throw out a couple of numbers at you just because they're, they're so much fun. <sighs> when all of this started, so mid to end of March, Illinois Baptist um, sent out their, their, their paper. I don't know, does it come every two weeks, every month? If you would like to receive it, let me know. When I get one, I try to post one out here. Um, we can add you to their mailing list and they'll send it to you. But the Illinois Baptist Press sent out uh, one of their newspapers. And one of the articles in there was surveying Illinois pastors. This was right after most of our churches completely shut down. And that was another thing that just depressed me is how many churches just completely shut down. Once again, I'm going to reiterate my, my, my take on all of this. We are always here. 
barring some catastrophe that I cannot walk through the doors, I will be here on Sunday morning. I don't care if the world is actually on fire. If I can get here, I'm here. If you would like to come, I will not stop you at the door and say, you can't come to church, the world is on fire. My typical thought is, the world is on fire, get your butt to church. <laughs> That's typically how I think. So barring me being unable to get here, I will be here and we will be having church. And even if I can't get here, I'll bet you money somebody else is going to get here and we will be having church. So if anybody ever asks you, is church canceled? The answer is always no. If you can't get here or it is not safe for you to be here, do not. You're an adult. You're not children by yourselves. You have parents. They're adults. They can make these decisions. But I'm here. Stuff's going to be going on. So that's just, there you go. So when all of this happened and churches did begin to shut down, one of the survey questions was how many people thought their churches would grow because of this? 63% of Illinois pastors who responded thought it because of this crisis and church shutdown and all of that, their churches would grow. And Cameron can vouch for this. I read that article and went, these guys have lost their minds, have completely lost their minds. As proof of that, last month, Another survey came out, American Enterprise, and some, somebody did the survey. Over half of evangelical Christians during the shutdown streamed zero church services. Not one, not two, zero. Over half of American evangelicals for two months when their churches were closed went online to listen to sermons, watch church services exactly zero times. We are not as secure in this world as we think we are. We're just not. We just are not. This is why you need to get flexible and kick yourself in the butt every once in a while and get into spiritual discipline. Because if you don't, the way of the world is just constant. It's just going to pull you all the time. Go to the beach, go Pacific, Atlantic, get in a nice little rubber boat, and then push yourself off about 10 feet from the sand. You know what's going to happen in about a half an hour? You're gone, because what's that current going to do? That's the world. And when we live here, we live constantly right there in the sand. That undertow is pulling, the current is sucking us out, and if we are not actively working against it, we'll just be gone. That's what perseverance doesn't look like. This is why we use the terms we use. Rooted, anchored, grounded. This is what we're talking about. We stood firm because God has, you know, like a flag, stuck you there. And the constant pressure is going to weed out the chaff. Always going to weed out the chaff, that which is going to be burned away. It's always going to do this. We have to be engaged in these disciplines. That starts with simple ones. Like, hey, do we actually care about one another? We all say what? Yes, we do. How do I know it? When you think of them, pray for them. That includes me, other members of the church, our town, our area, our county, our nation, the world. We have brothers and sisters that we will look at in heaven and be like, you're here. I don't even know who you are, but let's go. They don't speak our language, but they will, or we'll speak theirs. I don't know how that's going to work, and I don't care. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't live like us. They are of us because they are in God, and they are struggling, and they are working, and they are striving just the same as we are, and we need their prayers, and you know what they need? They need ours too. So 
you thought that was bad. Verse 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Pucker up, baby. <laughs> Look, you should be ready for this. Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 20, 1 Peter 5, 14. You know what they all tell you to do? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, some of you are rightly going, hang on, I've had breakfast. I need you to stop right now. Now, in all seriousness, this is, when, this is, her, this is the hermeneutics portion of the program, in case you were wondering. If you have no idea what I just said, um, hermeneutics, the science of how we read and study and understand writing specifically applied to scripture. So how do we make sense of this book? We read the Bible literally, except where it tells us that we shouldn't. <laughs> and you're going, doesn't that seem a little contradictory? No, not in the least. Your assumption is you should be understanding it literally in light of genre, time, location, culture. So, I mean, when we read poetry... Do, do, we, do we really think that those are good compliments? Sometimes. Have some fun and go read Song of Solomon. My kids love the song from the uh, What's in the Bible DVD because they're making fun of it because the compliments that Solomon is giving to his wife is, you know, she has hair like the, the, the goats covering a hillside and her, her teeth are as white as a, as, a, as a freshly shorn sheep or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, guys, don't. Your teeth look like shiny goats, baby. No. I don't think that one's going to cover. Don't think that's going to work. Well, what is the point, though? By the things that he has to compare, what is he saying? He's describing her beauty. This is good. When we encounter something cultural, we apply it rightly to their culture. Catch this. We take the principle that is being utilized, and then we move that principle to our culture. So let's rewind in culture, because this is not our world. Hellenistic culture, the Greco-Roman world, they had two primary forms of greeting. One was handshake. The other, a kiss. Handshake was for strangers, acquaintances, people you meet at business meetings, you know, stuff like that. Kisses were for close personal friends. Now, what is Paul telling you here? In church, how should the people of that congregation be thought of? Now we take the principle and we move it forward. He's telling them to greet one another, not like strangers, not like acquaintances, not like business partners, but like they are family, the family you like. Make sure we cover that because you're, you, you know, some of you will use that and be like, well, you know, there's that third cousin twice removed that we always see through eating. We don't talk to them. No, you greet each other like the family you like. You greet them warmly, joyfully excitedly like look don't lose this what is this our, our third normal sunday normal-ish sunday remember what it felt like for the first one where there were like 35 40 people in here and it was like there's people <laughs> and they're all here and we're all gonna worship and i've missed you guys you're like a giant golden retriever it's okay that's good don't let that go away because when the people of God gather together, we sh it should be Christmas morning. We're here, and we've missed you guys, and we're going to celebrate, we're going to worship, and because that's what we do. If we're not, it's probably because we haven't actually been looking forward to it. And, and I get it. 
there's work, and there's kids, and there's lives, and there's family, and there's neighbors, and there's that fool in traffic again, and the people at Walmart. There's all of these things. And a relationship with God goes where? Starts drifting into the rearview mirror, which gets back to our other point, spiritual discipline. The hard work of being grounded in Scripture, being connected to one another in prayer, walking and worshiping together has to be something we are training ourselves to do and training ourselves to actively be a part of, not just once a week, but constantly so that we can bring scripture, prayer, and worship to bear on a culture. How many of us, I'm throwing myself under the bus here too, how many of us go into a secular, unbelieving world and live and act differently? I mean, from them. See, that's what I thought. Because we go out there, and what do we look like? We look like them. But not in here. Well, in here needs to get out there. Or have you not seen that literally everything is on fire? (laughs) Not some of it. All of it. That starts with discipline. That starts with doing the hard work of sanctification, being open and listening to the words of the Holy Spirit, the the thumps in the back of the head reminding you of where you should go, and then being a people that are focused on worship and praise and discipleship rightly. We should be odd to them. If we're not, it's because something is amiss in our walk. The light is not shining, the salt is not seasoning, and we have to change that for not just them, but for us. We don't want to rob our joy and our peace and our love, but we do when we go along with them. Because then we go home and be like, I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe I said that, or I can't believe... Hmm. Why are we doing that? Because we didn't bring godliness to bear on that situation. So, verse 27. The history portion of the program. I ad- <laughs> Can't you feel that excitement? <laughs> Woo-hoo. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Now, first thing we know, when these letters would come in, I mean, this would be a big deal in church. So, like, like, imagine if Billy Graham was from our church, and then he sent us a letter. They'd be like, woo, Billy sent us a letter, let's read it. So this was already read in church. They would have sat down, they would have read it. This is not just them, this is, like, every Christian you know share the letter. And this is not unusual for Thessalonica. Colossians 4. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So in other words, when you got a letter, you would read it. You would study it. You would try to apply it. And then you would hear that, hey, there's a church over there in Ephesus. They got a letter. You know what we should do? Let's send them our letter and let's get their letter. And that way we all know. Now, a question needs to be asked. Why? One, this is part of the one another's in action. This is what the church would do to bear the burdens. Galatians 6. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he he deceives himself. 
but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. We are responsible with one another, but we are ultimately responsible to who? Responsible to God. And when we stand there, are we going to be able to go, well, well, Gary told me, and so I did what Gary said? No, who's responsible for you? You are. So we want as much information as we can. So if Paul sent us a letter, we want to read it and study it. If Paul sent them a letter, you know what I want to do? I want to read it and study it. Give, give me that letter. Oh, here, trade. It's like when you were a kid and you got Doritos and they had, you know, Fritos and you didn't like Doritos. And so you did what? But in this situation, we all got Doritos and Doritos are awesome. So we're just sharing. Now, this is the second part of this. This is the historical aspect of this in action. This is how the apostolic commitment in mission was actually accomplished. 2 Peter 3, which may seem like an odd verse to read, but I promise we'll make sense of this. Beloved, since you look for these things, he's talking about the coming end. That's what the beginning of 2 Peter 3 is. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. And also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which some are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. See, catch that. What's the argument Peter is making? Paul wrote you guys a letter. You should listen to it and you should apply it. And the people who are twisting it, they do that with Paul and the rest of the Bible too. That's literally the argument that he's making. So what has he just told you Paul is writing? Paul is writing scripture. What does Peter think he's writing? Peter thinks he's writing scripture. He is sending out apostolic command, apostolic testimony and witness to these people. Therefore, the apostles wanted it distributed how far? How far can you send it? Send it to everyone. And everyone receiving it was like, ooh, gimme, 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 gimme. That's why if you read um, first and second century history of the church, they're passing letters like crazy. They're, they're quoting John. They're quoting Peter. They're quoting Paul. Even if they're not alluding, even if they're not calling it the, like the letter to the Galatians yet, they're quoting the information that's in it. They were memorizing these things and just be like, just ticking it off. We can actually, try to remember the percentage. If we just used, like, so if you took every Bible and you balled it up and you threw it out the window and we didn't have them anymore, we could actually construct, I want to say it's like 90% of Scripture just from quotes in letters that we have from the 2nd and 3rd century. That's how much these guys quoted the Bible, that they quoted, like, all of it. We could rewrite it just based on their quotes. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. Now, why were they doing this? Again, they have a mandate to use the quote rightly. Here's movie quote time. They're on a mission from God. <laughs> I do those for Matt. Matt enjoys those. What's this mission? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Christ is telling them what? You will go out and testify. There are no planes. There are no trains. There are no subway systems. There's not even a cab. Like, they don't even have bicycles yet, and horses are expensive. You know how most people got everywhere? They walked. I can only walk so many places in a lifetime. But if I can write a letter, and you'll copy it, and you'll copy it, and you'll copy it, and all these people will start walking, then guess what happens? 
I mean, this is literally what the, the premise of the internet is, is. I can't go everywhere, but I can do what? We can send out information. This is what they're doing. They had preservation. Uh, John 14, the Holy Spirit was going to guide them in this. Um, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is important. This is how the church grew and functioned and was discipled by the apostles. They would send out these letters. They would send out teaching. And once it was out there, faithful people in churches would copy and send them out left and right. Some professional, some not professional. Be like, I can even read this stuff. It's like, okay, I can copy and I can color just like he colored. And by the time we're done, it's out. This is also why we have the New Testament that we have today. People get messed up about this, but this is one of the reasons why we do textual work and historical archaeological work. The reason we have the preserved New Testament the way that we have it is because you couldn't mess it up. Case in point, if I have a letter and I'm the only one who has it, what's stopping someone 300 miles away because there's no internet, there's no car, there's none of that, from writing their own letter and saying it's mine? What stops them? Nothing. I don't know anybody over there. Nobody over there knows anything about me. What if they get 75% of it right? Is that good? Not if I'm an apostle giving you apostolic teaching brought to you by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not good if that's only 75% of that. That means 25% of that could be all sorts of weird stuff. And believe me, when we're talking about first and second century church, there was all sorts of weird stuff. But if I take this letter and you copy it 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 and all these start going out, what happens when you get one that's 25% off? Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. No, see, this is the one we got because and this is the one that Dave has and this is the one that Gary's got. No. What happens if it's 10% off? The same thing. The exact same thing. Part of the reason we have a New Testament preserved for us accurately is because we have so many copies of it, you can actually pick out the problems. You can find the mistakes, you can root them out and weed them out. Um, I think it's uh, Dan Wallace, who is one of those uh, Greek scholars with, with more brains than time. And I mean that in a, in a good way, actually. I think it's his quote that we have a thousand-piece puzzle when it comes to our New Testament. We just have 1,200 pieces. Like Our problem isn't that we've lost something, it's that we have more stuff. And we covered this when we went through um, John chapter 8 and the, uh, the woman caught in adultery. Is once something gets into the Bible, even if it doesn't belong there, you know what happens to it? It stays because nobody was taking anything out. Because when, when you got Paul's letter in Thessalonica, you might have messed up and added a word, but you know what you didn't do? You didn't mess up and take one out. And when you got the letter from the Laodiceans, if they had copied it wrong, I guarantee you they didn't take anything out. They might have thrown in a, like an A or a, or a V or an at somewhere in there, but they didn't take anything out. This is a blessing. This is how God works in history to preserve and persevere his church. We have apostolic teaching contained in our New Testament because of the way God has worked and moved in history to preserve his teaching, to preserve the apostolic testimony, and give us a concrete foundation that we can utilize. Once again, if God has gone through all of that work, why do we leave it behind? Why do we not discipline ourselves to know it, to hide it in our hearts, the way Psalm 119 would tell us, and to bring it to bear on a culture? Don't argue laws. Don't argue feelings. Don't argue concepts. Don't argue history. Argue scripture. Get back to the foundation.
Paul concludes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That works for me. I mean, that's, that's fitting. We know who God is. Paul's explained it. If you read this letter, you know who God is. You know what he's done. You know what he's doing. You know what he will do. And you're secure in him in that knowledge. What are you worried about? Nothing. That's why we can agree with Colossians 4. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. How do I know how I should react to the world? Is it in accordance with godliness? Is it in accordance with the commands of scripture? Does it bring peace? Does it promote the love of God? Does it ground them in their sin and show them, no, you are in rebellion to God? And does it point them to the grace of God? If it doesn't, go back to go, collect your $200 and start again. This is the lesson that we have to be reminded of, is we do not want to be the people who are afraid. We have nothing to fear. If we are in Christ, we are secure. We know he's returning. We know his kingdom is good. We know that it will reign. If we're trying to build anything else, we have fallen for the lie of the world and the trap that Satan tries to lay for each and every one of us. He's trying to get his eyes off, our eyes off of the prize and onto some shiny object over here. No, back to the narrow road. Psalm 144, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. We don't think like that, do we? We think of ourselves as if we are the captains of our destiny and our history. We're not. God is. We think of our lives as these long spans, <laughs> and it's over. When we think rightly in that manner, the time is precious. Think of your entire life like you did when you had children. <laughs> How many of you have ever said this? They weren't babies long enough. <laughs> you know how many times I have heard that from Cameron? They just, because they're, they're so little, and then all of a sudden it's like, where did this 15-year-old come from? <laughs> and if you've never done it with people, you've done it with an animal. I have a hundred and something pound St. Bernard. Every once in a while I get a picture from my Google memories that shows me what he looked like a year ago. He was 20 pounds. He, it was like fluff right there. And now his head is this big. And I had to fight with him this morning because he was misbehaving and trying to argue with me. That was fun. <laughs> I mean, they just, they grow up quickly. Why? Because time, remember when you were a kid? Tomorrow is never going to get here. I'm never going to be 10. I'm never going to be 13. I'm never going to be 16. I'm never going to be 18. I'm 42. What just happened? <laughs> it's like, hmm, where did it go? That's always been the case. Christian discipline is understanding that and recognizing that the days are not there so that we increase here, but those days are there so that we increase in eternity. Those days are there so that we serve his kingdom rightly. Thus endeth the lesson. 1 Thessalonians, the, thirst, the church of Thessalonica, a people out of time. They are standing in opposition to the paganism of their day concerned for their future, hoping for a good present and a consistent work for God and from God. Gee, does that sound like anybody we know? 
See, if we are not a people out of time in our world, then we have missed it. If we are not seeing the paganism of our world, then watch the news. I'm serious. What are you seeing a reaction to? The fear, the anger, the hatred. This is modern-day paganism at work. So what do we do? What has Paul been telling us? Live simply. Pray. Be grounded in God. Understand his word. Understand his future. Understand his promises. And be a people of worship. Simple. Living each and every day, freshly new, grounded in prayer, grounded in the reading, grounded in worship, each and every day. Because tomorrow, guess what we're going to get to do? As long as he gives us breath, we get to be grounded in prayer, grounded in Bible reading, grounded in worship. And this sounds repetitive. It's supposed to be. I'm serious. How many of us are going to be famous? <laughs> I mean, we have, we have jokes, right? Well, I want to get my 15 minutes. You know how many people get their 15 minutes? No. And then you wake up one day and you watch the news and go, oh, so-and-so died. I remember him. He was in that thing, right? With What's her name? And they, What was that movie? And you start going next name, and then you Google it so you can remember who they are. Who cares? Who cares? We're not famous. We don't want to be. We don't need to be. God knows us, and he loves us, and he's redeemed us, and that's supposed to be enough. So we live simply. We worship. We discipline. We are disciplined, and we grow. And by doing that, we fulfill the commission and mandate that God has given to all of his people from the very beginning, and we are good. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather as your people, that across this world there are gatherings of your people. And if we've never met them and we don't know them, that we are still a part of them. Lord, never let us forget that your work is bigger than us and it is grander than we can possibly imagine. Strengthen us for that work, that as we are grounded, as we are disciplined people of God, that you would strengthen, that you would guide, that you would hold us dear, that no matter what may happen, we would stand firm. We would rightly proclaim you, your great salvation and mercy. The wrath has been taken away and that joy has brought in its place. Lord, carry us to the day of completion. We'll celebrate each and every day because it comes from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will end. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his foot with praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. 
I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Uh, quick reminders, remember uh, Clark, James, and, and Sue this week. If you get a chance, especially um, if you have a directory, Jerry and Sue's number is in there. Just give them a call and let them know that we're praying for them and checking in on them. Uh, I'm, I know Jerry will appreciate that. Uh, financial reports are out there. You can see everything that's been going on for the year. Reminder, the 28th is what we're going to aim for for a church council just after the service. See if we can get some stuff planned out and try to get our church calendar back on track for the rest of the year. So let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. And as we leave this place, we trust that you will ground us, that you will preserve us. We pray that that joy and peace that you provide will be ever-present so that we cannot forget that our light will shine in this dark, dark world as it so desperately needs to. Lord, carry us home safely. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.